Hello everybody, this is our fifth and final sermon looking at our series on the mission of Jesus. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 8 and 9 and today we finish Matthew 9 starting at verse 18 going on to verse 38. The title of this sermon is Demonstrating Compassion. We are now nearly two weeks on from the so-called Freedom Day in England and the day in Scotland where the whole of the mainland moved to tier zero of the lockdown restrictions. Monday the 19th of July was billed by the media as the brand new beginning after all the hardship of the last year and a half. In many ways this was the case. The news on that day was full of pictures of people dancing in nightclubs, mixing in large crowds and eating in crowded restaurants for the first time since the pandemic began. Some even described it as the best day of their lives. But I wonder what they think now. New freedoms continue to be available to us and politicians promise that we will never go back. Yet many problems still remain. Case numbers are still high with hospitals under pressure. Vaccine passports are beginning to be required. Face masks still have to be worn in certain areas. And many people still live in fear. It hasn't turned out to be quite the new beginning people hoped it would be. Rather than a fresh start, it was more a gradual step on the way. It's actually quite rare that human beings get a brand new beginning in life. A moment where everything completely changes for the better, almost overnight. The closest Emily and I got to it was when we moved from London to Isla. You cannot get a much bigger change than that. Leaving the crowded city behind where we felt almost anonymous to take up the peace of Isla and become part of a tangible community. Isla has been everything we hoped it would be and far more. We're so happy here. And yet, still, the odd lingering trial remains. I still struggle with anxiety at times. It's much less than it was, but it's still there. Rather than pressures from work, we feel pressures to make sure we see our family now that we live so far away from them. I wonder if any of you have been through an experience like this. Maybe you moved job or moved area so you might get a new beginning in life, and yet somehow... It wasn't quite a clean slate. Maybe some emotional baggage from the past came along with you. Sadly, this is the reality for human beings living in a fallen world. Yet in our passage today, we see something different. In Jesus, we do find something decisively new. Something that breaks into our lives and leaves them in such a way that they'll never be the same again. When Jesus goes to work, everything changes. Just scan through the passage, made up as it is of lots of individual little stories, and you will see the evidence for this. A sick woman is brought to health, her bleeding stops. A dead girl is raised to life. Two blind men are given their sight. And a man rendered mute by a demon is set free and granted his speech. By the end of the passage we are left in no doubt that there is a huge power at work here. Nothing less could create such a dramatic turnaround in events. And the crowd's response in verse 33 is quite telling in this regard. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. 
Nothing like this has ever been seen before. And of course, we know that nothing like this has ever been seen since either. The changes in this reading are on a whole different magnitude to what we usually experience in life. Jesus is utterly unique. He alone has the power to create a whole new beginning. Now, as we have said before in this series, it's important for us to remember that whenever Jesus did a miracle during his time on earth, it was always to form a sign to something greater. Dramatic healings and exorcisms were teaching illustrations rather than ends in themselves. Consequently, it's important that we take the time to realise what the miracles in our passage were pointing towards. Did you notice how the first two, recorded in verses 18 to 36, were sandwiched together to form one short story? The synagogue leader came to Jesus and asked him to restore his daughter who had tragically died. As Jesus travels to the girl, he is stopped by a woman who has a severe menstrual condition. She's not stopped bleeding for 12 years. After Jesus had healed her, he then goes on to complete his journey and raise the dead girl. This sandwiching technique is very deliberate. Matthew wrote this passage in this way to get us to see that the meaning of these two events were interrelated. In the ancient Jewish world, there were some basic rules of hygiene. A bit like today when we must sanitise our hands and sneeze into our elbows. And foremost among them were the rules, don't touch dead people and don't touch people who are bleeding. There was a danger of illness here, so these things were deemed by society as unclean. If you want to, you can read at home at length in the Old Testament law about how the Jews were to treat unclean things. They were to avoid them or social distance, if you like. One particular example of this was that unclean people were banned from entering the temple. They just could not enter into the place of God's presence. As a result of these laws, there was a real stigma around this area. Impurity was feared. However, what we see in this story is that Jesus' purity is greater than any human's impurity. When the woman touches his cloak and he himself touches the dead girl, Jesus is not infected by them, rather they are infected by him. They take on some of his holiness and life, making them clean in the process. And this deeper meaning is fully revealed in the central line of the sandwich story. After the woman has touched Jesus, he turns round to her and says, Your faith has healed you. And the word translated healed there is actually the Greek word for saved. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. She has been saved from the suffering and isolation caused by her uncleanness. Now, when you hold all these layers of meaning together, we can see that this story is trying to point us to something far deeper about who Jesus is and what he came to achieve. The real uncleanness that Jesus came to save us from is sin. It is sin that brought death into the world. Ultimately, Jesus will save us from sin by shedding his own blood. So men and women like the two in this story are healed by Jesus's own wounds. It's all deeply symbolic. Matthew is trying to get us to see that Jesus came into the world to bring life after death made possible by the forgiveness of sin. 
This is the full healing that Jesus is ultimately aiming for. Not the temporary healing or the temporary new beginnings we experience in the world today. But of course, the passage goes on and the further miracles also contain layers of hidden meaning. As Jesus grants sight to the two blind men, he's trying to get the crowds of the day and the millions of readers of this gospel since to begin to see who he really is. Did you notice how he told the two men after they had received their sight not to tell anyone? Why did he do that? Because he didn't want people to get lost focusing on the miracles themselves, but to see behind them to who he really was. Through the course of these chapters, he's revealing himself as the Lord, the Messiah, the servant of God's people, the sinner's saviour. This is what he wants people to truly see. Then the final miracle was also deeply symbolic. In verses 32 to 34, we read of a man who has been rendered mute by a malevolent spirit. As Jesus enables the man to speak once more, he demonstrates his power over evil itself. What are we to learn from this? Well, Jesus has come to earth to truly defeat evil, to drive out darkness with light. And as he does so, voices are enabled to speak out in praise of God and to tell others of what he has done. And this speaking out for God is something he's about to ask all his followers to do on his behalf. What I hope we're beginning to see is that these are not just set alone miracles to be marvelled at and then forgotten. This is Jesus powerfully enacting signs of God's kingdom. In Jesus, a kingdom broke into the world that has the power to transform everything it touches. In Jesus, a brand new era has begun. Something has started that is totally different to what went before it. And once this new age has arrived in full, we will discover that death will have been replaced by life. Sin will be no more. The excluded will be included. The sick will be healed. All will see God face to face. Evil will be vanquished and the suffering caused by it no more. And in response to all this goodness, human beings will speak out in continual praise and worship of God. This is nothing short of a foretaste of glory, the eternity all people of faith look forward to. This heavenly kingdom began on earth when Jesus came the first time and it will be completed when he returns a second. But be in no doubt, this is truly a new beginning we are talking about. A brand new start for creation and for humanity that we need and long for. One of the most interesting things about this reading is that it gives us a profound insight into the driving force behind this mission of Jesus on earth. Jesus came to achieve all this because he felt compassion. Listen again to verses 35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The Greek word translated compassion is splanitsomai. It literally means to be moved in the inward parts. It is a word that's onomatopoeic. In other words, it is designed to sound like what it describes. 
If you say the word, it sounds uncomfortable. It sounds disturbing. It sounds like a moving of your gut. So when it says that Jesus had compassion, it means that he was deeply affected, deeply concerned by the suffering of humanity. As he witnessed it, that suffering created a deep yearning inside him to do something about it. So Jesus followed his gut instinct and left the throne of heaven to come to earth and rescue us. In this passage, we see the compassion of Jesus time and time again. When the synagogue ruler came up to him and asked for his daughter, Jesus immediately got up and went. When the unclean, bleeding woman pushed past to touch his cloak, Jesus didn't condemn her, but instead spoke words of gentle kindness. Take heart, daughter, he said. When he finally got to the house of the bereaved, he sent the crowd away to give the family some privacy and gently took the young girl by the hand. With the two blind men, Jesus gently and lovingly touched their eyes. Do you see, there's such care, such concern, such consideration shown by Jesus here. And Matthew sums it all up with the statement, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's be in no doubt. Jesus' heart breaks for suffering human beings who cannot help or save themselves. It was because he loved us so much, he came to rescue us. Jesus was not like the other shepherds or worldly leaders of his day, the legalistic Pharisees or bullying Romans who oppressed the population and only looked out for themselves. No, Jesus was compassionate. That's what made him different. That's what set him apart. Compassion is what makes Jesus the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. And this is the very essence of his mission still today. He is on a mission of compassion. Did you know that the root meaning of the word compassion is literally to suffer with? If you have compassion for someone, you are prepared to suffer alongside them. And again, this is another way that these miracle stories form a sign to something far greater. They tell us that Jesus came to suffer with his people and that he came to suffer for his people. His heart was so broken by our collective plight that he was prepared to have his body broken to save us from it. The compassion we see in this story is ultimately what leads Jesus to the cross. And it is the compassion of Jesus on the cross that enables the brand new start of the kingdom that we have been thinking about. All this then leads us to a final question we must ask ourselves. How should we respond? Throughout this series on Matthew 8 and 9, we have been asking, who is Jesus? What is his mission? And how do we respond? Well, so far we've answered the first two. Jesus is the good shepherd on a mission of mercy and compassion. He is bringing the kingdom of God that will form the completely new start that we all need. But what about this important final question? How should we respond to this news today? How are we to receive this compassion of Jesus for ourselves? Well, actually, this passage makes the answer quite clear. What Jesus asks of us is to have faith. Listen again to how the passage emphasises this requirement again and again. 
The synagogue leader had faith that Jesus could raise the dead. The bleeding woman had such faith she believed she would be healed even if she just silently touched Jesus' clothes. Jesus then responded to this faith by saying, Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. The two blind men called out for mercy and then expressly pronounced their faith that Jesus had the power to heal them. And again, Jesus responded by saying, according to your faith, let it be done to you. This passage makes it clear then that faith is essential for us to receive from Jesus, for he does not force his work upon anyone. But that requirement for faith should not make us worry about whether the level of our faith is good enough for us to receive in this way. In fact, the passage seems to indicate that faith doesn't need to be perfect at all in order to receive its reward. The synagogue ruler comes to Jesus through the panic of last resort more than anything else. Notice he didn't trouble Jesus when his girl was sick, only when she was dead. He was clutching at straws. The bleeding woman had almost a superstitious faith. If only I touch his cloak, she thought in verse 21. The blind men called Jesus son of David, which of course was true, but was a title that conveyed a very nationalistic tone. And consequently, Jesus never used this title for himself because he wanted people to know he had come for all. And sadly, the mute man was too ensnared by evil to offer much at all. Our faith then can be weak and faltering. It can contain errors and inadequacies. But when it is genuine, God uses it as the channel to flood our lives with his kingdom. Ultimately, this passage shows us that weak, faltering faith is infinitely better than no faith at all. Notice how the laughing, scoffing, cynical crowds are put outside by Jesus in verse 25. None of them got to see the power of God at work in raising the girl to life. And the rigid unbelief of the Pharisees, which led them to attribute Jesus' work to the devil in verse 34, is described elsewhere in scripture as the unforgivable sin. In other words, no faith leads us to receiving nothing. As human beings, we need to be aware that our heart is capable of profound resistance to God. We all need to choose to soften our hearts, let go of our stubborn independence and take up faith in Jesus instead. So faith is the response that God is always looking for in our lives. But there is something else that this passage wants us to realise. Our faith in Jesus must be allowed to lead us on into action ourselves. For five weeks, we have been studying the life of Jesus, reading the things that he did in Matthew 8 and 9. But just look at how this section of the gospel finished. Verse 37 and 38. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In these verses, Jesus incredibly invites us to join in with his mission. We are not the Lord of the harvest, God is. And that should come as a great relief to us, because if the future of the world depending on us, we would all be stuffed. But that said, we are called to play our part as workers. God is seeking our cooperation. He wants to exercise his compassion through us. Consequently, as Christians on Isla, we are to tend to the sick, 
to help the mentally distressed, to comfort the grieving. We are to give to the poor. We are to welcome outsiders. We are to bring justice to the oppressed. And through all these acts of compassion, we are to speak of the one Saviour, Jesus Christ. For it's not us that rescues people, but them coming to faith in him. May this church be moved by the needs around us. May the plight of those in our community who do not know Jesus deeply affect us. May our compassion be aroused enough that we take some action. Let us pray that God will raise up a harvest here on Isla. Let us pray for the new beginning of his kingdom to be experienced by many. And let us pray that we will know how to play our part.